from us three years now. We have done a morning show on Planet 93.9, the Quad Cities Real Alternative Radio, and what we do here on this podcast, David Darren's Top 5 Things, is condense our shows into giving you the very cream of the crop. Yeah, that's one way of saying it. The Top 5 Things. I'm Dave, he's Darren. And uh, these are the top five things presented in numerical order because that just seems to make more sense. Yeah, it's the it's the fair thing to do. <laughs> Let's get started with number, number one. Number one. 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 This Dallas Zoo story. Yeah, bizarre. It's hard to wrap your head around the strange happenings at the Dallas Zoo. Strange things are afoot. There was a story of a. Uh, Two monkeys that went missing from the zoo. Now they found the monkeys, right? Yeah, the monkeys were found, I guess, in, in a an closet. Ab- in an abandoned home near the zoo. Two monkeys taken from the Dallas Zoo found yesterday in a nearby abandoned home after a mysterious disappearance the day before. They haven't arrested anybody yet. Dallas police say that they found the two Emperor Terramin monkeys. After getting a tip, a tip coming in on the monkey line. <laughs> Hello, monkey line. Yes, this is monkey business. How may I help you? Police say they went to the empty home in Lancaster, Texas, which is just south of Dallas, and found the monkeys safe in a closet. The monkeys have now been returned to the zoo. It, there's been a lot of weird things. These monkeys were found missing. Their enclosure was cut on Monday. Somebody, like, cut into the, the the fence. And they released pictures of the man that they wanted to talk to about the missing monkeys. And then they got a tip. Oh, was you a great big fat monkey? Uh, somebody calling in the hotline saying, yeah, we got, we, hey, you might want to check this house, this abandoned house. There was a monkey that, uh, the monkeys that, that went missing... There was a leopard that escaped, but then was found and returned to her enclosure. And there's a suspicious death of a beloved vulture. <laughs> An endangered vulture, too. Something happened where they, they're saying uh, this was not a boat accident. Yeah, that someone's sending a message. Right? This most recent incident, keepers discovered these two Emperor Terramin monkeys. These are monkeys... That have these giant mustaches. Yes. Kind of looks like the Lorax. The zoo was closed due to inclement weather. And uh, then they then they realized that, oh no, the the habitat of these monkeys has been compromised. So I don't know. Uh, Dallas Zoo, do a better job of keeping an eye on your animals. I don't know how you can. Just walk into a zoo and cut open a fence and put monkeys in your pants or whatever this guy did. Speaking of not a boat accident, did you see the uh, the story of a guy who was out swimming in the Gulf of California and a 19-foot great white shark came and bit the dude's head off? Ooh! Gonna have dessert first. Oh, my. Yeah, this is in Tabari... Bay, Mexico, a 19-foot great white shark killed a diver while he was diving for mollusks. 
Manuel Lopez was scuba diving in the Gulf of California when he was attacked. He was diving when this great white sharked him. Uh, great <laughs> like white, that. He sharked him real good. He sharked him. The animal attacked him, they say. Here. I got sharked. I got sharked real good. Um, some A spokesperson for the, the fisherman here. Uh, it must be a friend of Manuel's. Uh, Jose Bernal says, quote, he was diving when the animal attacked him, impressively ripping off his head and biting both shoulders. Now, if, if a shark ever bites off my head, don't say it's impressive. Like, it is. Everyone understands I'm that. Gonna put I the, don't need you out there hyping the shark. I'm going to put that as part of Dave's permanent record that he had his head bit off. And uh-huh. It was pretty impressive. This is what I want you to say. Dave was out diving for mollusks, and a shark bit his head off. Yeah, that's what he was doing. You don't need to mollusks. comment on how impressive it was. In the shark's defense, the shark and the guy... We're out there doing the exact same thing. This guy was out collecting something called axe tripe, which is a mollusk similar to a scallop. You'll find it between 36 and 59 feet in the briny deep blue sea. Mollusks are pulled from the ocean floor, and when you pull them, I guess they make sounds that attract sharks. I d- it's like I- a little shark alarm. I did not know that, and he didn't either. <laughs> Hey, shut up. Shut up. You're going to bring sharks over here. That's what I want. I don't want you taking me out of the ocean. So maybe the shark was coming to the mollusk's rescue? Is that possible? Local divers had been warned about the presence of sharks in the area, and a lot of the divers in that part of the Gulf of California had not gone out for several days. But there's a shortage of seafood in the area, so demand is high, and Lopez needed the money. Thousands of anglers have been staying on shore due to the presence of these great white sharks. A stipend of 7,200 pesos per year is available to fishermen to supplement their incomes. But that amount is not livable when there's no income coming in from the sea. 70, in case you're wondering, 7,200 pesos is like 380 bucks. That's not going to feed the bulldog. You know what will? A human head. Mm-hmm. Well, it was impressive the way it took my friend's head off. I'll tell you what. I mean, sure, we're bummed that Manuel is dead and headless, but at the same time. The shark time, was like his wife. Really took his head off. <laughs> Boy, she lets him have it. I... I reached out to Manuel's mother and I said, Mama had a baby and his head popped off. And then I had a little dandelion. It was a whole little thing that I did for her. She was very confused. And then once she put two and two together, uh, as you can imagine, quite grief-stricken. Now that I think about it, explaining to a mother that her son was decapitated by a great white shark with a dandelion was not the most thoughtful thing I've done this year. But, you know, it's still... It's still kind of new a year. year. We still, we're just into 23 here. Still a very effective prop. <laughs> I wanted to make it very easy for her to understand. Which she did. And you know what his mom said to me? She said, that's impressive. <laughs> that that shark was able to take his head off like that. I said, is it okay if I use that? Mrs. Lopez, she said, by all means. When that shark bit his shoulders, mm-hmm. it was not a loving nibble. 
No. Two. 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 Never steal anything small. Isn't that what they say? Who says that? I have people. Thieves. Isn't that something thieves say? There's no honor among thieves in the first place. I don't got a lot to say about Ric Flair. A food service director for a south suburban school district in Chicago is accused of stealing chicken wings. $1.5 million worth of chicken wings. <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. The food service director for an impoverished south suburban school district accused of stealing $1.5 million worth of food, mainly chicken wings, according to court documents that WGN television is unearthed. Vera Liddell worked for the Harvey School District for more than a decade. Court records accuse her of ordering more than 11,000 cases of chicken wings from the school district's food provider and then picking up the order in a school district cargo van. However, the food was never brought to the school or provided to the students. District funds were used to pay for the food. We don't know what happened to the chicken wings. Who can say? Where did these chicken wings go? You'd hate to think they're in a storage locker somewhere. Oh, the tragedy. They were stolen how long ago? Well, because this, these next two weeks? Yeah. <laughs> this is chicken wing season. Boy, it sure is. You know, this is my busy season. Uh, Moving chicken wings. At her bond hearing, they said the massive fraud began at the height of COVID during a time when students were not allowed to be physically present in school. Even though the children were learning remotely, the school district continued to provide meals for students that their families could pick up. But again, the food was never brought to the school or provided to the students. The scheme was uncovered by the school district's business manager, during a routine mid-year audit. Can you imagine you're, crunch, um, you're crunching the minute. numbers and you discover that... This is not a little number. <laughs> is this right? Did I do that? The scheme uncovered by the school district's business manager during a routine mid-year audit, the manager found the district was $300,000 over its annual food service budget despite only being halfway through the school year. Prosecutors say that this business manager discovered individual invoices signed by Liddell for massive quantities of chicken wings. That's an item, by the way, it's worth pointing out, that would never be served to school children on account of how there's bones in chicken wings. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember having chicken wings in school. No, you wouldn't. Because of bones. Court records say employees of the district's food provider, Gordon Food Service, were all very familiar with the defendant due to the massive amount of chicken wings she was purchasing. A great customer. (laughs) Sure, we know who you're talking about. Yeah. We think she's terrific. VIP. Case was investigated by the Cook County State's Attorney's Office Liddell was charged with theft. She now finds herself at the Cook County Jail with a $150,000 bond. I can tell you, Cook County Jail, Mm. not a fun place to be. 
Harvey School District's interim superintendent says she's only been on the job since last week, and she tells WGN-TV she was aware of the charges but had no comment due to the ongoing investigation. No more questions. Look, I just started last week. I know you want to know about the $1.5 million worth of stolen chicken wings. We've all got questions. The Harvey School District 152 consists of five schools. And yeah, Harvey's not, it's not a, an affluent part of town. Yeah, right. 80% of the students in the district qualify as low income. Total enrollment is 1,600 children. 1,600 children, $1.5 million worth of chicken wings? It's crazy that it took until now for somebody to figure out that something was a little little weird here. But you're right. We've got to get to the bottom of where these chicken wings are. Because <laughs> they'll disappear this week. Number three. 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 In British Columbia, starting today... They are starting a three-year decriminalization experiment that will allow drug users over the age of 18 to carry up to 2.5 grams of opioids like heroin and fentanyl, as well as methamphetamine, MDMA, and cocaine. It's not legal, it's just decriminalized. You understand the, the difference between those things, you you can't buy it at a store, but they're mm-hmm. not going to bust you if you have it. If you have it. Uh, Federal Minister of Mental Health and Addictions, Carolyn Bennett, saying here, through this exemption, we will be able to reduce the stigma, the fear and shame that keep people who use drugs silent about their use and help more people access life-saving supports and treatment. The idea is, for the next three years, they want to do this experiment and, and see if, by not cracking down on people that have this stuff if it, it actually ends up saving some lives. And that amount is a combination of? Up to 2.5 grams. I don't, know if that, I don't know if that's each thing or... It becomes quite an amount. Yeah, that's a lot of grams, man. <laughs> yeah, if you're just walking around with 2.5 grams of everything... 2.5 of this, 2.5 of that. Yeah, that would be... 2.5 of this, 2.5 of that. Problematic, yeah. Yeah, man, like grab a day. Right. This happening in British Columbia uh, reminded me of something that I saw over the weekend. There's this event they do over at the Royal Albert Hall in the UK. It's something called Letters Live. Uh And the Uh idea of Letters Live is they bring letters that people have written to life. Something that they've been doing for some time over Are these letters written by people that are no longer with us? No, No, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Mm-hmm. Benedict Cumberbatch. Doctor Strange. Yes. Look at me. He uh, chose to read a letter that a guy wrote to a hotel there in British Columbia. This was a couple of years ago that this happened. A guy was banned from staying at a hotel room. The ban was eighteen years. He could not stay at this. Hotel in British Columbia. The Fairmont Empress had a ban on this guy. For that particular room or the hotel? The hotel. You are not allowed to come to the Fairmont Empress Hotel 
in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. So he was banned for all these years, and he thought, you know, maybe if I wrote them a letter and explained. We could change things. Maybe maybe I could convince them to lift the ban. Uh-huh. Let's see if I can do some persuading. Right? I mean, it seems to me that I've, I've never been permanently banned from a place. But when you find yourself in that position... I guess you have to go somewhere else. Right. There's plenty of great places to stay in BC, yeah. I imagine. But it was this particular hotel that said, you will, ne- you will never, after what you did to that room, uh-huh. you will never be allowed to stay here again. And Benedict Cumberbatch read it aloud. I'd like to share the letter, if that's okay. All right. Uh, now, this guy, it's worth pointing out, his name is Nick... Birchall. And Nick lives in Nova Scotia. I don't know how familiar you are with Canadian... It's quite a distance. Uh, ...geography. Right. Nova Scotia is on the east coast of Canada, whereas British Columbia is way over on the west coast. Uh, he was uh, banned from the hotel for what ended up happening in his room and <laughs> wrote this letter and ended up getting the band lifted. He says, I officially applied to be allowed to stay at the Empress Hotel again. Here is my letter. Uh, this is this is after being banned for 18 years. Dear Empress... 18 years and it's still bothering him. Right, right. Um, Dear Empress Hotel, Nick writes, this might seem like an unusual request, but I write to you today seeking a pardon. 17 years ago, a string of unfortunate events led to my being banned from your hotel and I would like to explain the incident. <laughs> Into, now, now this, this ban was lifted a couple of years ago. So when you hear, the, when you hear these numbers get thrown out, you're going to say, because this, this actually happened in 2018. Uh-huh. In 2001, I had recently joined my current employer. Uh, now, the name of the employer is redacted here. Uh-huh. Since <laughs> in 2001... Some of the letter redacted. I had, I had recently joined my current employer... And I was also in the Canadian Naval Reserve. The company was hosting a customer conference at the Empress, and it was my first event with the company. I told my Navy buddies that I was coming out west, and I was asked to bring Brothers Pepperoni from Halifax. It's a local delicacy. And because this is the Navy we were talking about, I brought enough pepperoni for a ship. In a hurry... I had completely filled a suitcase with pepperoni for my friends. Some of it wrapped in plastic, some in brown paper. I took whatever brothers would sell me. And that is the bag that the airline misplaced. The bag reappeared the next day. I knew that the pepperoni would still be good. It had only been at room temperature for a short time. Uh It would, however, be quite some time before I could turn it over to my friends. Just to be safe. I decided that I should keep it cool. My room was a nice, big, front-facing room on the fourth floor. It was well-appointed, but it did not have a refrigerator. It was April, the air was chilly, and an easy way to keep all of this food cool would be just to keep it next to an open window. I lifted one of the sashes and spread the packages of pepperoni out onto the table. I can see where this is going. And the window cell. Then I went for a walk. For about four or five hours. Mm. When I had covered enough ground, I returned to the hotel. And? I remember walking down the long hall 
and opening the door to my room to find an entire flock of seagulls in my room. (laughs) I didn't have time to count, but there must have been 40 of them, and they had been in my room eating pepperoni for a long time. Uh In case you were wondering, Brothers TNT Pepperoni does nasty things to a seagull's digestive system. As you would expect, Stage two. As you would expect, the room was covered in seagull crap. What I did not realize until then was that seagulls also drool, especially when they eat pepperoni. Did you know that? I didn't know that. I'm sure you have an image in your head. Now remember that I've just walked into the room and startled all of these birds. They immediately started flying around, crashing into things, as they desperately tried to leave the room through the small opening by which they had all entered. Less composed seagulls are attempting to leave through other closed windows. The result was a tornado of seagull excrement, feathers, pepperoni chunks, and fairly large birds whipping around the room. A tornado. (laughs) The lamps were falling, the curtains were trash, the coffee tray was just disgusting. I... waded through the birds and opened the remaining windows. Most of the gulls left immediately. One tried to re-enter the room to grab another piece of pepperoni, and in my agitated state, I took off one of my shoes and threw it at him. Both the gull and the shoe went out the window. By this time, I was down to one gull left in the room, but he was a big one. And did did not want to leave. The big one remained. As I chased it, it ran around the room with a big hunk of pepperoni in its gob. In a moment of clarity, I grabbed a bath towel and jumped it. It started to freak out, so I wrapped it in the towel and threw it out the window. I had forgotten that seagulls cannot fly when they are wrapped in a towel. This is all happening fairly quickly, and this is mid-afternoon. The Empress hosts a very famous and very popular high tea, and I suspect this is where the large group of tourists was heading when they were struck by my first shoe. Then a bound-up, then a bound-up seagull. The seagull was unharmed, by the way. Let's go back to my little housekeeping issue. The room was bad. There was a lot of damage. I was new to my company, and I was really trying to make a good impression at this important event. I decided that I would carry on for now and handle this whole thing later. Uh. I then realized that I had only a few minutes before an important dinner and that I only had one shoe. I made my way to one of the side doors and recovered both the shoe and the towel that were laying in some wet soil bare, the uh, walking path. The shoe was a mess. I took it back to the room, but by this time, I had closed the windows and the air was becoming quite ripe with the smell of digested pepperoni and fish. I went to the washroom and rinsed the mud off my shoe. It cleaned up nicely, But now I had one wet, dark shoe and one light-colored shoe. In retrospect, I should have just wet the dry shoe, but instead I chose to dry the wet shoe using a little hair dryer. It was actually doing quite well. I had the hand dryer jammed in there, and the whole shoe was drying nicely, and then the phone rang. I walked into the next room to answer it, and the power goes off. It turns out that the hair dryer had vibrated free of the shoe, and fallen into the sink full of water, and the GFI didn't seem to be 100% functional. I don't know how much of the hotel's power I knocked out. (laughs) 
But at that point, I decided I needed help. <laughs> I called the front desk and asked for someone to help <sighs> me clean up a mess. I can still remember the look on the lady's <laughs> face when she opened the door. I had absolutely no idea what to tell her, so I just said, I'm sorry, <laughs> and I went to dinner. When I came back, my things had been moved to a much smaller room. Uh-huh. I thought that was the end of it all until I was told that my company had received a letter banning me from the Empress, a band that I have respected for almost 18 years. I have matured, and I admit responsibility for my actions. I come to you hat in hand to apologize for the damage I had indirectly come to cause, and I ask you to reconsider my lifetime ban from the property. I hope that you will see fit to either grant me a pardon or consider my 18 years away from the Empress as time served. Thank you very much for your consideration. Sincerely, Nick Burchill. This is an absolutely true story, uh-huh. that the, the, new, the people at the hotel... Uh, were, were able to back up, uh-huh. saying, no, we, we absolutely remember yeah. when this happened. Everyone remembers. Uh-huh. And when this letter went viral a handful of years ago, the people at the Fairmount Express said uh, here, we are, were as amused as everyone else to read the letter from Mr. Burchill. His series of unfortunate events happened so many years ago, and we were happy to review his letter and have since lifted the ban. Uh-huh. We look forward to welcoming Mr. Burchill to Fairmont <laughs> Express again in the future. Leave the pepperoni at home. And since our $60 million restoration in 2017, oh, he'll yeah. be delighted to know that the rooms have modern amenities and air conditioning to keep, his, to keep his pepperoni true. Yeah, the hotel's public relations director tells the Toronto Star newspaper, this is an absolutely true story. <laughs> yeah. So he ended up uh, showing up, and, and, and all was forgiven. But that is absolutely, I mean... Look how we all grow. <laughs> a series of unfortunate events. Number four. Four. I don't even know how to present this one. A 34-year-old man had to have surgeons extract a condom-wrapped banana. Banana? Bananas. Just one. Surgeons had to extract a condom-wrapped banana from a 34-year-old gentleman. It resulted in a serious bowel blockage. Okay, that makes sense. Where it gets weird, for me at least, is it didn't go in the way you think it went in. This guy swallowed a condom-wrapped banana Uh in what he is calling... A, f- a fit of hormonal rage. What? Bing bong. My hormones were taking over as at a, age 34. 34 year old man. <laughs> I gotta really gotta get a handle on my hormones. <laughs> at 34, yeah. Had to be hospitalized after eating a banana wrapped in a condom in a fit of hormonal rage which resulted in a serious bowel blockage, a case study describing this. (laughs) They say it's the first time they've ever dealt with something like this. It's the world's first case of its kind, published in the medical journal Curis. Bizarre case came to light after the unidentified patient had reported to the hospital after experiencing abdominal pain, nausea, and vomiting. Meanwhile, he wasn't able to tolerate any food or drink and had a bowel movement. He had not had a bowel movement 
for over 24 hours. Doctors did a CAT scan, which revealed that this guy had a condom-wrapped banana obstructing his small intestine. Why don't you just tell us what you did? He then copped to swallowing the prophylactic-covered fruit in a fit of hormonal rage. That's a polite term for what it was. Bananas! Hormonal rage. What are you doing? It's like it's tied, tied off somehow. Well, yeah, I suppose. I don't quite understand. This uh, inadvertent fruit mule was subsequently rushed into surgery. Boy, that looks good on a resume. Inadvertent fruit mule rushed into surgery where doctors were able to remove the condom-wrapped banana. Accompanying photos taken post-extraction show the... uh, the rubber-wrapped banana next to some surgical tongs. Uh, he was discharged three days after the balloon uh, balloon's removal here. Because that's what this is, essentially, is a condom that's turned into a balloon. Uh, whereupon he recovered to the point where he could eat and poop without having any issues. Imagine having to check on that. How's everything going for you, buddy? Any plans for Valentine's Day? <laughs> hey, cool out. Just everyone cool out. <laughs> cool out! Please tell me you don't have any plans. Good news, ladies. He's single. Uh, the, the journal says two weeks after the operation, he was tolerating a low-fiber diet without nausea or vomiting. He had a return of normal bowel movements, and his pain was well-controlled. At six months, he continued to endorse normal bowel patterns and diet. He was able to slowly resume his active lifestyle and did not have any major concerns. You think you have a crap job? (laughs) This is the first known instance of somebody swallowing a banana in a condom, the study says. They note that small bowel obstructions are rare and usually result from the ingestion of drug-filled condoms to smuggle illicit drugs. (laughs) Not the first time someone has swallowed an unusual object. (laughs) In January, doctors were flabbergasted after discovering that a four-year-old's colicky pain turned out to be caused by a magnetic bracelet that he'd swallowed. I get a four-year-old putting a bracelet in their mouth and swallowing it. That I get. A 34-year-old man swallowing a condom-wrapped banana in a fit of hormonal rage. I'm not sure I can quite wrap my head around any of this. Bananas! It's the active (laughs) lifestyle that I miss the most. Can you get back to your active lifestyle? I wouldn't get that active. Man. Well, you know, maybe a different activities. <laughs> Whatever you are doing, I'm gonna I'm gonna suggest you do something completely <laughs> other than that. Whatever you were doing, where you found yourself getting a condom wrapped banana extracted from your small intestine on account of how you swallowed it in your words, a fit uh-huh. of hormonal rage. Do different stuff. That's my prescription. I'd love to make that promise. (laughs) 
We both know I'm coming I, back here. I just don't know that I can. <laughs> Next time it'll be a pineapple. Five. 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 Number five. Interesting case out of Cleveland Heights, Ohio, where residents of a neighborhood are suing one of their neighbors for putting a backyard pizza oven in their backyard. Really? Yes. Does it smell too good? An unusual case unfolding there in the courtroom in Cleveland. Couple suing their neighbors for using a large pizza oven in their backyard. It's just too delicious. According to the lawsuit filed by Brooks and Mika Jones, their neighbor, Paul Shams, built a commercial-sized wood-fired pizza oven behind the home back in 2017. These plaintiffs live on the second floor of an apartment building that they own that's two doors down from where the pizza oven is. Uh And they say since 2017, this pizza oven has been a constant nuisance. The Jones claim that the ongoing complaints about the impact of the oven that they have lodged with the owners in the city of Cleveland Heights have fallen on deaf ears. This is now a jury trial. During the selection of a jury that will hear the lawsuit, the judge, the Honorable Shannon Gallagher, laid out the allegations the Joneses are leveling against Paul Shams and Mary Lynn Newsom. Quote, allege that when the pizza oven is in use, the smoke and gases travel to their property and into their apartment, causing them physical discomfort, annoyance, stress, and anxiety, and that the smoke and gases significantly affect their ability to use and enjoy their property and their apartment. According to this lawsuit, they're saying that the smoke and fumes are so strong that the odor will linger on their clothing and the fur of their pets for days on end. I've got a pizza puppy. (laughs) The suit maintains that when the pizza oven is used, it typically burns for between three and ten hours at a time. How much pizza are you making, bro? Who are they making these pizzas for? What we have here is a zoning problem. The plaintiffs contend that the physical discomfort caused by the smoke and fumes includes coughing, sore throats, headaches, burning eyes, and dizziness. They are seeking at least $25,000 in damages and injunctive relief to prevent these two from using the pizza oven. Judge had to remind members of the jury pool that they should not allow anything going on outside the courtroom to influence their opinions. As you can imagine, this is like the top story in Cleveland right now. Judge Gallagher saying, you are not to talk about this case with each other or with anybody else. You're not to form an opinion about this case, and you're not to do any additional research. I don't want you reading or Googling about this case. You will receive all the information you need to try this case within this room. And I don't want you eating any pizza. So the jury was seated late yesterday, and opening statements are scheduled for this morning in the pizza oven case. I don't know, man. I feel like I could I could see this being a problem. Yeah. That's a big pizza oven. I mean, it's it's one of those big dome, commercial-sized dome pizza ovens that you see at restaurants. And then it's got like a, a shelter around it and a smokestack at Have the top. Have they ever offered them a free pizza? Maybe that's the problem. Maybe that's the uh, maybe that's the issue. 
It's like that old Dragnet episode where uh, the, the the woman's complaining about the loud party. Right. And uh, Do you ever think of inviting him over? <laughs> that's exactly that right. What it, that's what Friday says, right? Uh, right. Maybe, maybe invite him to the party. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's, a, that's one of the all-time great moments. <laughs> that's a sage advice right? there, Friday. Joe... Joe Friday says, you ever think about maybe next time you have a party, maybe invite him over? And then they just kind of nod at each other. Oh, gosh. Like, yeah. When they complain, yeah. invite him to the party. <laughs> yeah. When they complain, bring him a pizza. Uh, that's uh, what you need. Mm, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> mm, 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 uh, yeah. Yeah, I guess if you... If you were to invite them over for some wood fire pizza, maybe that would... Make things easier. I'm reading here from clevescene.com. It says, It was soon after Paul Sham started dating and fell for Mary Lynn Newsom that he actualized his longtime idea of building a wood-fired pizza oven in his backyard. After some months and planning and assemblage, Shams, a craftsman by trade in his early 60s, completed the project May 2017. Soon after, Shams and Newsom, a hospice nurse, began hosting informal pop-ups for neighbors with parties assembled around the pit. But not these neighbors. Neighbors with gardens brought over mushrooms. Others would bring over shrimp or anchovies. A second-grade neighbor even immortalized Shamsanusim in a school marketing assignment at a local elementary school. One neighbor who requested to remain anonymous uh-huh. says, quote, there's a lot more people who know each other on the street, and the pizza oven is the reason for that. It has brought people together more than split them up, except for these two. Next time, invite them to the pizza. Mm, uh-huh, yeah, mm, mm, mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> this lawsuit was filed in July of 2021. Brooks and Mika Jones filed this 17-page complaint saying that the fumes from this pizza oven are a public nuisance and have caused them significant physical discomfort and emotional distress. The Joneses purport that the oven smoke and fumes are visibly white, opaque, and billowing that have led to the wide range of symptoms that they deal with. The complaint reads, regardless of the presence or absence of visible smoke, the oven releases noxious fumes and odors at all times it is being used and operated. Yeah. Well, everybody in the neighborhood loves it except these two. And is that because they haven't been invited, or is that because they are just happen to the location yeah. just hits them? I think it's that the smoke goes into their right. When the plaintiffs requested that the defendants utilize a chimney extension, defendants refused because the chimney extension would affect the quality of the pizza. And I won't have it. I'm sorry if your quality of life is being compromised. I will not. But there is quality control in our backyard wood fire pizza oven. From and after May 2017, defendants continued to use and operate the oven in a spirit of hatred, ill will, or revenge. Maybe that's why the pizza tastes so good. You can taste the revenge. We named our new kitty rescue oregano. <laughs> the, the Cleve scene writes here, the very non-neighborly duel over pizza that's playing out on Grandview Street, a street comprised of brownstone fourplexes and century-old single-family homes, is sharply resemblant of disputes 
that could have been settled over a friendly chat, but instead have headed into heated legal land with more frequency, according to a recent article in the Wall Street Journal, noting that these things are just getting nastier. And the legal dispute and the ongoing rivalry have, according to a half dozen residents on Grandview Street, caused a ripple effect that goes beyond the primary players. It's called unnecessary stress. It's caused, I should say, unnecessary stress, weekly paranoia, and fear that others might be next. If their grill or smoker Mm -hmm. is too smoky, a neighbor who lives close to the pizza oven says, anything we do, we felt, has been under this microscope for years. In the beginning, we all laughed about the lawsuit. It's just like, you're what? You're suing someone over pizza? And it was a joke, right? I mean, no one took it seriously. But the lawsuit was an escalation many could have seen coming. Brooks Jones had cycled through a list of city officials with his complaints. Police cars were soon coming to Grandview. Fire trucks arrived as the shams were preparing a pie. Sirens blaring. And then sometime in 2020 or 2021, a fire truck came to the house. The, the the wife here at the pizza house says, now every time my husband lights the smoker, I'm conscious of, like, who are we disrupting? We're always looking over our shoulders. It's a slippery slope <laughs> covered in sauce and cheese. <laughs> I really like the idea of a neighbor having a pizza oven and then another neighbor growing mushrooms mm-hmm. and bringing the mushrooms over. I mean, this seems like it's bringing a lot of people together. Except for these two that have to deal with the, uh, you know, noxious fumes. The fact that your dog smells like pizza for a week. And now, the wit and wisdom of Sergeant (laughs) Joe Joe Friday. Friday. Badge number 714. This was an interesting episode, too, because it all takes place at home. Joe's having a, uh, like a, a dinner party. Well, he's got, uh, uh, what's it called? Frank Gannon? Yeah, and his wife over. Yeah, and he's broiling steaks Steaks. in his fireplace. (laughs) In the fireplace! (laughs) And neighbors are, they're complaining about the noise, and they get Joe Friday involved to Mm. deal with this in the apartment building. (laughs) (laughs) Look how he knocks. Uh What a square! Hi there. Mrs. Selleck. Verna, come on in. Well, come on. You're already three drinks late. No, thanks. I wonder if you'd ask Mr. Selleck to step out here for a minute. I know who you are. Your neighbor. Yes, ma'am, that's right. Well, you can come in anyway. I'll vouch for you. No, thanks. Not tonight. Well, as the man said, if that's the way you want to be remembered. Now, what man said that? I wouldn't know. He didn't say it to me. Now, oh. would you ask Mr. Selleck to step out here, please? Roy, please. Mr. Kettledrum Man, please. Mr. Kettledrum Man. I'm the kettle drum man, Roy Selleck. You must be a neighbor. Joe Friday. Downstairs? Yes, sir. What is it, Joe Joe? Are we making that much noise? No, not for me. The lady down below. For her, you are. Just so I don't make a wrong move. Are you and she, uh... No, nothing like that. We're just neighbors. Well, why doesn't she do her own complaint? Well, didn't you get a call from her? Not me. Come to think about it, the phone did ring. One of those happy souls in there must have answered it. I'm sure. About the noise, what can I say? After all, we live here too, you know. And it isn't all that late. Not even 8.30 yet. You know, legally, we're not even disturbing the peace yet. All right, why don't you try to hold it down by 10 o'clock anyway? 
That's when she calls the cops, huh? How do you live with somebody like that? Why don't you try the old apartment house system? I never lived in an apartment before. Always had our own house, Joey. What's the system? When they complain, invite them to the party. You're playing bongos at your party? (laughs) What goes on? Uh You went to somebody's apartment and they were playing bongos and and Uh she's got a tambourine in her hand. Right. (laughs) What kind of party? I wouldn't put up with that. Invite them to the party. I consider that excessive noise. What's the problem, Joey? How much uh, percussion do you need? Is it all over, Rock? I guess so. I didn't think it'd be like this. And that was Dave and Darren's Top 5 Things podcast. Thanks for consuming it, enjoying it, downloading it, leaving reviews, listening to it, all the things that you've done. Don't think it goes unnoticed. Because sometimes it doesn't. Till we get a chance to do this for you again. Hang loose, kooks. And you stay classy and safe, Quad Cities. Come on, Quad Cities. Represent. This is for the Quad Cities. Rep the spot. Davin board. Yeah, we keeping it locked. Rock out. Come on. And it just don't stop. East Moline. Yeah, they keeping it hot. Uh. Okay, so I'll see you later, huh? I'll give you a call. Stand clear of the closing doors, please.